We are in the book of Philippians. If you've joined us this Sunday, perhaps for the first time, we started a series last Sunday in Philippians. It's one of the New Testament letters of the Apostle Paul. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So I think it's on page. Let's have a look. If you've got the church Bibles, which generally come out around about this time, yeah, Trevor's coming. Oh, 1178, page 1178. It is good to have the Bibles open, although the words will come up for us on the screen as well in a moment. Um, Grab a Bible if you'd like one. There's also Bible apps on phones, you know, whatever would be easiest. 1178. Uh, We'll read that in a second. Let me just give a few words of introduction. So this is a letter. We're reading a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi. So that is northern Greece. So if you've been to um, Corfu, Santorini, has anyone been Corfu this summer? Any takers? Anyone been to Corfu? Ever? Right. You're still quite a long way away from Philippi. <laughs> but you're kind of in the region, northern Greece. Uh, it was the first Eastern European church that was set up by the apostles uh, in that region. And it's a church that Paul loves very much. And that comes out in the whole letter in the way he writes this church. He loves these guys. He set that church up some 12 years before he writes this letter, and ever since, they've had this wonderful partnership. And the church has sent him gifts and supported the Apostle Paul throughout his ministry, throughout all of his missionary journeys. So he loves these guys. And we saw that partnership last week. Remember, that word partnership came up in chapter one. I was getting the kids to kind of scrum down. It's this idea of churches more than a charity. It's more than just some you know, an organization I agree with and might give my money to. It's more than that. It's, it's a family. We sit and have meals together. We share life together. We, we eat together. We call each other brothers and sisters. But it's more than that. It's a partnership. We scrum down together. We get dirty. We do things. We, we take the rough and the smooth together. We're partners in the gospel. We're on a mission. And so he described the church just like that. And he's writing, as Paul does from from time to time, from a prison. (laughs) And uh, he often finds himself there. We'll think about that in a moment. And uh, one little section we didn't do last week, it's not on the screens, but I'll just read it to you. This is kind of his heart. He says this in chapter 1, verse 9. This is where he goes with the Philippians. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Let me just touch on that just for a moment. I can't resist it. It's not my text, really. It was last week's, but it's just such a good one. You know, Paul goes, love on its own, great, but it needs something else. You know, he's praying for the church that they'd be, yes, they'd be loving. That's important. But he also says, in knowledge and depth of insight. I want that for you too. So that, in order that, you are, you know, fruitful, discerning, blameless, all these things. A bit like pulling an arrow. Like you could pull, someone could pull a bow and arrow really hard. They might be really strong 
at pulling that bow, but unless you've got a really steady hand and you can get that thing on target, it's not much good to you, right? Just being strong, right? In that sense, love, a wonderful, wonderful thing. You wanna have strength in love, big hearts, but also you wanna get it, that sort of the ability to discern in knowledge and depth of insight where I shoot this thing. He's committed to both. He says, I want both those things for you. And knowledge and depth of insight, knowing how to direct that love goes with it. So that's a great little verse there, Philippians 1 verse 9. But it's not our text. Uh, The text is uh, the next section. In the Bibles, it says Paul's chains. Paul's chains, chains advance the gospel. So let's just set the problem up here just so that you're with me and you get on the train here. He is in prison. He's writing from prison. And so he can't do anything, not much. In fact, he's chained up to guards. That's kind of how they did it in those days. You know, guards, their duty was just to be next to a prisoner, maybe chained up next to them. And you know, this is a problem. Can I explain why this is a problem? Uh, Imagine this. Okay, here's a little, let's go on a journey together. Let's just have a little thought experiment. Imagine the Lord gives you a real burden for North Korea. And you think to yourself, right, I'm going to pray about this. I want to go to North Korea, to one of the hardest, most closed countries to the Christian faith in the world. Usually comes out like number one or number two when Open Doors do their kind of mission report the whole world. Um, Often called a closed country. But one of my favorite preachers said not close country you just might not come out alive that's what he says you can get in you'll get in you might just might not come out alive so anyway you think to yourself okay uh, I'm gonna go to North Korea and you speak to your Christian friends and they are like do you know I think you'd just be perfect I've been praying about that too and I think that'd just be amazing why don't you do that yeah and then you give up your career perhaps quite lucrative career. Maybe you sell your house, got property, sell that, collect all the savings together, book your flights, off you go, one-way ticket, and you're determined. I don't know how old you are, but you're determined for the rest of your days, I'm going to spend my life in this tough place, encouraging the underground church, you know, meeting the Christians, trying to encourage them, building up the faith, trying to encourage new people to follow Jesus. You're determined to offer, offer hope, share, make advances on the kingdom. Now imagine, okay, you've arrived. Here you are. And within the first two weeks, after doing all of that, after praying about it, after Christian, Christians kind of supporting you, sending you, maybe giving you loads of money to help you get there, you're in prison and the whole thing shut down. And you don't even know if you're going to get out. Now, I want us to see, this is particularly difficult for us as Christians. And maybe perhaps as Christians who are particularly fired up for God. Anyone being in a prison, like anyone being in a prison is miserable, okay? 
even if you don't believe, even if you don't believe in God, you're not a Christian, you know, and you go to prison, that's miserable. That's not very nice. Who wants to be in prison? If you're a Christian and, you know, for whatever reason you get chucked into prison, that's not very nice. You might think, Lord, you know, why am I in prison? But if you're a Christian who's like, devoted your entire life and all your savings and the church is behind you and you've gone to this crazy difficult place and the Lord then doesn't spare you from prison. You know, it's triply hard. Why would you do that? Why would you, why? You know, can you imagine your prayers in that moment? You don't know if you're gonna get out. Paul didn't know, not for sure whether he'd get out of this alive. You just pray, look, don't you support this? Aren't I doing, like, the very thing that you would want me to do not right now? Why would God put a stop on the plans? So that's the problem. That's the problem Paul's addressing. Like, the Philippian church must be thinking... Paul's in prison. How can it be that the, the Apostle Paul, whom God is using so powerfully, is in prison? Let's read what he says. This is what he says. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, let's put it on the screens. This is from verse 12. I'll just read the first paragraph. He says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let's just stop there for a minute. Now, isn't that cool? Just imagine for a second, Paul, like, he is the most, he is the church's best weapon. Like, he used to go to um, Athens and speak to the great philosophers in Athens. In that day, it would be like, in England, it would be Oxford and Cambridge, you know? You would go to to the top university cities of the land and speak to the top professors, right? Paul was the guy. He was the guy who would go to Athens and speak to the philosophers about the gospel. Here he is, scuppered, but he's got one prison guard after the next coming to chain up, you know, with him and look after him. And what does he do? He just shares Jesus with these guys. Each time they turn around, each time he gets another one, he's like, right, let me tell you why I'm here. Let me tell you about Jesus, by the way. He rose from the dead, etc., etc. And he says, you know, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. The word there is praetorium. It's the emperor's guard. Right? He's getting close to the emperor of Rome via his guard and speaking to them about Jesus. He wouldn't have chosen that, but maybe God wanted that, and he can see that. He's, seeing a, he's, seeing a, he's getting a glimpse at the purpose God has for him, even though he's in chains. He's just sort of seeing something of what God's doing in that he's putting him in front of 
the emperor's guards and sharing the gospel with them. The other thing he sees, you notice that in verse 14, because of my chains, uh, loads of the brothers and sisters around here, probably in Rome, um, have become confident. They're more confident in their faith. They're more daring to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul can see. He can see. Even though he's in prison, he can see, ah, hmm, I can see what God's doing even here, even though I'm in prison. Now, what he doesn't see, right, because he doesn't see the whole picture, just think about this, right? Number one, he doesn't see how this will encourage the Philippians. He's writing this letter to the Philippian church. He's not going to see, not for a while, what this is going to do for this church. And he's not going to see that on the 10th of September, 2023, 2,000 years later, the church in Southend-on-Sea are going to be encouraged by the fact that this guy was in prison, still rejoicing, still seeing God's purpose in it, still preaching the gospel, still sharing Christ with all these different people. And here we are, 2,000 years later, encouraged by the Apostle Paul's example. And he didn't see that. He gets a glimpse at what God's doing in his imprisonment, but he doesn't see this. Amazing. Amazing that God would use that all these years later. Now here, um, church, I just want to stop here for a moment, kind of make a little side point. Um, Paul's an impressive man and one to look at. We are living in a day and age where we're not quite sure what it means to be positively masculine. Is that true? We hear an awful lot, an awful lot, about toxic masculinity. In fact, most times when people talk about masculinity, it's the toxic kind. What's toxic about maleness? We hear a lot about that. Very little, precious little about what it means positively to be a man. Can I encourage us with the example of the Apostle, the Apostle Paul here? Verse 12, just listen to him. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. So he's not angry, he's not bitter and twisted and full of self-pity. Oh, you know, I'm in prison. What good is that? You know, he's not getting all sort of pitiful, self-pitiful about his situation. He's not bitter and resentful as if he deserves better. I'm entitled, I am the Apostle Paul, and I am a really, really good apostle, and I should be in Athens. He's not entitled. Uh, he's not working out in the prison gym because he's going to exact vengeance. I'm going to mount an army, you know? and take out my anger and frustration on other people with my strength. He's getting on in his situation, living for Christ, living for Jesus, 
using the situation that's around him, bad though it is, to make Jesus known. Now, there is an example, parents, for our young men, boys, to follow. Someone captivated with a purpose. Here's something to live for. Here's something to strive for. Christ. And I'll do that, whether I'm free and moving around, and got money and got opportunity, or whether I'm in chains. I don't know whether I'm going to die. What a great purpose. Teach that. Why don't we teach that to our boys? Positive example, isn't it? Masculinity. And in, in all of this, you can see his heart, can't you? You can see it. His, own, his, his concern more than anything else. I'm sure Paul likes, I don't know what he likes. He might like cheese, wine. He might like going on holidays. He might like all kinds of things. So I'm not denying him the pleasures of life. But you can see his chief concern the thing that really bothers me is the gospel. Everything else is secondary to this one thing, Jesus Christ. And that comes out in this next section. So he says, he's like going, doesn't he? Let me just read you the last verse. He goes, um, uh, some have become more confident and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And then he kind of just diverts and he goes, now, it's true that some preach Christ out of, e um, out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. They're not sincere. They're supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But you know, what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false, false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Do you see? I have one agenda in life. There is one agenda in my world, says the Apostle Paul, that the gospel is preached. However it's done, however it's achieved, sure, there's going to be some people doing it for bad reasons. There's going to be some people doing it for good reasons. It's a pity that these people are doing it for bad reasons. I wish they wouldn't. These people are doing it for good reasons. Fantastic. The main thing is, though, this message, this Jesus, must be advanced throughout the whole of the uh, world as it was there. Now that kind of life, we're coming to the table in a moment, we're coming to the bread and the wine, that kind of life is only possible when people deeply think about and receive and savour Jesus. He suffered and died at the hands of those Roman guards. Do you remember this? So whereas Paul was imprisoned, and scuppered in his plans by Roman guards, Jesus died at their hands. And he looked like, remember? He looked the most abandoned, the most forsaken. He looked like the most scuppered in his plans, if you like. There he is, hanging on a cross, giving out his last breaths. But even there, God turned that around when he rose him from the dead. So Paul's looking at that, isn't he? Here's a man who's reflecting on Jesus, body and blood. He's thinking, he's thinking all the time. Jesus went through death, came out the other side. He looked like the most scuppered evangelist 
And yet the Lord brought him out the other side and he's achieved great things for the whole world. Paul must have looked at that, sustained his thoughts on that. Look at that. And it produced, it produced in him a man of incredible character. Brothers and sisters, let's stare at Jesus, body and blood. When you do that, as we receive him in a moment, which we will, you think about that. If God was able to use Jesus, though he suffered most terribly, in the most forsaken way, though he looked like the most hampered, the most abandoned, and yet he turned that round to produce untold salvation and good for the world, how much more will he do? When it looks like our plans, even our plans for God, are failing or they're not working out or ill health is getting in the way or finances are stopping us or whatever. Sustained looking at Jesus will keep us going, keep us rejoicing, keep us purposeful as we strive together in partnership for the gospel. I'm going to stop there. Um, I'm going to prepare the table in just a moment. Let me just give you, you know, a few moments with yourselves, with the Lord, just to process these things. And incidentally, just one more thing. 5 p.m. tonight, we'll get together back in here. You might have some testimony around this. Scuppered plans. Uh, things that have put a stop on your Christian life. Uh, and you've seen, actually, God working even through that. Why don't you come show it? 5 p.m. tonight, we'll create some space for that. It'd be lovely to hear uh, some stories from around the room um, about what God has done, turning lead into gold, 